we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Exodus chapter 32, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron, and received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore... Let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, help us as we walk through this passage of Scripture. God, I pray that you would guide my thoughts. I pray that you would help me to understand. I pray that you would help us uh, as we read these words, as you reveal yourself to us, and as we look into our own hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to be ready to move, to be ready to go, to stay, to change, whatever you'd have us to do. And I pray that you would guide us this morning, speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, a substitute for God. A substitute for God. Let's get caught up to where we are in this passage in chapter 32. Moses had been up on the top of Mount Sinai now for 40 days. The Lord called Moses 
back in chapter 24 to come up to the top of the mountain. And immediately God began to instruct Moses. He instructed him concerning the tabernacle, concerning the things inside the tabernacle. He was very detailed on, on the instructions that he had for the tabernacle. And uh, he, he began to, to give him some things on the priestly garments and what they're to wear. And of course, he delivered the two tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, we call them. In chapter 24, we see that take place. This would have been quite a scene on the top of this mountain. And we see God's people here in chapter 32 at the bottom. But Moses at the top of this mountain, uh, a very intense scene. We can see uh, a very intimate scene, a very important scene taking place in the history in the nation of Israel on top of this mountain. And God is speaking to Moses and about six times in these five or six chapters, the Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, or, and the Lord said unto Moses. So Moses is on top of this mountain, face to face with God, receiving word from him. This was a monumental moment in scripture and in the history of God's people. This is a moment that you wouldn't want to miss. This is a moment that you would want to be a part of. God is speaking and God is moving. And I wrote at the top of chapter 32 there in my Bible, Meanwhile, at the bottom of the mountain. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the mountain. I can't help but to think at the, the placement of this chapter in Scripture. Chapters leading up to this chapter and chapters immediately after. God is working. God is moving. God is speaking. As a matter of fact, look in verse number 16 of this same chapter. The Bible says, And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God. So God is working all around. God is working on top of this mountain, and, and, and the people can even see some of the things that are taking place. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the mountain, God's people were corrupting themselves and engaging in sensual worship to a golden calf. You ever been somewhere or been watching something and you see something that just doesn't fit into the scene? And you say, you know what? This just doesn't belong here. That's what I see in this golden calf. This just doesn't belong here. Where in the world did this golden calf come from? God is speaking on top of this mountain. And at the bottom of the mountain, Aaron and the people there are building, making an idol to worship. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like the song we sung today, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Before we throw too many darts at the children of Israel, remember that the Bible the Bible tells us that it's like a looking glass, that it's like a mirror. And as we read the pages of Scripture, not only do we see God revealing himself to us, but we should also see ourselves. And God is revealing something about me this morning. And so before we get too worked up about the children of Israel and their sin, building this golden calf, let's evaluate our own hearts today. Let's look into our own heart this morning Let's see what God wants us to do. But his people chose to find a substitute for him. The chapter surrounding this one 
some exciting and great moves of God, but they decided that just wasn't enough. They decided that they need something else. God is working. This is an intense moment. This is it. We see Moses' passion for God, and, and, and it's interesting to me. God's people, their, 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 their worship is decaying, and they seem to be drifting further from God, but Moses' passion is intensified, and Moses is, is continuing to want to see this, this face-to-face interaction with God. And, and even after he comes down from the mountain and he sees what God's people are doing, and of course he's angry and upset with, his, with, with God's people, he goes back. The Bible tells us that he returned to God. He just wasn't finished. He wanted more. See, when you come face-to-face with God, you just want more and more and more of simply just God. And that's what Moses wanted. He was, he was passionate. We see God's proclamation of himself. If we go to chapter 34, and we won't take the time to go over there, but chapter 34, God is revealing himself to his people and to Moses. And he tells them that he is a gracious God, a merciful God, a God of long-suffering. And God's proclamation of himself, this is the God that we serve, but the children of Israel, they needed something more. Now let's see how far the children of Israel have come and, and, and how they got to this point. I want you to go back to chapter number 19 of the book of Exodus, chapter 19, and we'll, we'll turn to a couple different places here, but look at verse number 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. Everything... God, that you say, we will do. We're committed to you. We have this covenant with you. Whatever you want us to do, we're going to do it. Mark it down. We're all in. Right? Go to chapter 24. It gets better. Go to chapter 24. Look at verse, look at verse number 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. God, you tell us what you want us to do and we will obey you. We're committed to the cause. We're experiencing revival in our hearts. We're all in. God says, okay, look at verse 14 of that same chapter. He said unto the elders, tarry, and where tarry means to wait, tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. Okay? So you see the picture. God's people, they've, they've, been, they've been delivered from bondage. They're following God. They're following Moses. All is well. God, whatever you want us to do, we're going to do it. We're all in. Okay, well, then wait here. Wait here for Moses because I have a special message for Moses on top of this mountain. Easy enough. Done. Because we're all in. We're committed. We've made this covenant until you get to chapter 32. Now, 40 days is a long time, right? And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. I know Moses told us to tarry ye here, but we're not even sure what's going on up there. Is there something else that we can be doing? Tarry ye here. 
Terry here. Just wait. This doesn't seem too hard, does it? A simple job of watching and waiting for the return. It's easy enough, right? At least for a little while. So how do they get from Terry ye here to up, make us gods? How do they get from, we're going to wait on you, to Aaron, make us something that we can worship. Give us something physical that we can see and bow down to. This is a very, very slippery slope. It sounds a lot to me like, like in Matthew chapter 26. You read the story about Peter. You remember Peter. And Jesus was on his way to the cross, and, and Peter was committed to Jesus. He said, yet will I never be offended. Others might, but I'm not. I'm with you to the end. The same chapter. We haven't even gotten out of chapter 26 in the book of Matthew, and he is falling asleep while Jesus is praying. Then, then the Bible tells us that Peter literally followed afar off. So the man who was just committed with Jesus all the way to the cross, now he's falling asleep, now he's following afar off, and then he's cursing and denying Jesus all in the same chapter. What a slippery slope. Of course, the theme of this passage is worship. Worship. And we could talk a lot about corporate worship. We could talk a lot about what is done here. Let me just say from the very beginning that I am very grateful to be a part of a church that I believe worships in a very biblical way. I'm thankful to be part of a church where our pastor gets up every week and just preaches the Bible. You don't know what that's done for me personally. Just preaches the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less. And I'm very thankful to be a part of that. And we could talk about corporate worship and, and songs and, and, of course, music and, and, and preaching. But today I want you to focus on your personal worship. Personal worship. Not necessarily even what we do here in the church, but how you worship God. Because, of course, corporate worship is made up of a group of people who are worshiping individually, right? And so how you view worship is important to how we worship as a church. So I want you to look into your own heart. God's people, they were ready to worship in chapter 32. They were ready to worship, but their worship revealed their wicked hearts and sinful desire. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes about worship. The real issue in worship is not if we will worship or how we will worship, but whom we will worship. To know God is to worship God. Therefore, our view of God will directly affect how we approach Him. How you view God directly affects how we approach Him. So how do we worship? The book of John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 gives us some insight into how we are to worship. John chapter 3 and verse 7, true worshipers, true worship requires salvation. You must be born again. You must be born again. To worship God in the way that is biblical, you must be born again. John chapter 3 verse 14, the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. I'm glad that in our church, the Son of Man is lifted up. 
The Son of Man is lifted up in every service. True worship in chapter 4, of course, we see with the Samaritan woman. God is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and truth. We'll get to this in a moment, but the children of Israel wanted a face. They wanted, they wanted something that they could hold on to, something that they could physically see. But God is a spirit, and God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. How do we find such decline in the midst of all that God is doing? How do we find a people who are surrounded by the presence of God and God working, yet their worship is decaying? Reminds me of a young man in Acts chapter 20 named Eutychus. You know the story of Eutychus. He fell asleep in a window, fell out the window. He was in a bright place, the Bible says. He was in a place where the word of God was being preached. As a matter of fact, Paul was preaching. We would say, we will never fall asleep while Paul is preaching. If Paul was here today, we wouldn't fall asleep. We wouldn't get tired. Maybe not, but Eutychus did. God's word was being proclaimed, and there was, there was light in the place. It wasn't a dark place. It wasn't a dead place. It was alive, and he fell asleep. What am I saying? I'm saying you can be here. You can be at a place like Tabernacle where God is working. God is moving. God is speaking. These are the works of God. Everything that goes on here, that's the works of God. And yet our worship can be decaying. How you view God can diminish. It's smaller and smaller. So let's look at some things here. Let's look at Israel's problem. They were so close. They were so close. They were just at the bottom of the mountain where God was speaking to Moses. I'm sure they saw the glow. I'm sure they heard the sounds. But even at a short distance from God's presence, we must be aware that our worship stays on track. Number one, beware of becoming bored. Beware of becoming bored. Look at verse number one of Exodus chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount... The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. I think God's people had a sense of boredom. It sounds to me like they were tired of waiting on God. Let me just challenge you with this very quickly. Don't get bored with expository, biblical preaching of God's word. We were in Sunday school this morning. I hope that you were in Sunday school. If not, you can come back next week. And we're going through the book of Revelation. And we're going verse by verse, phrase by phrase. And I said a couple different times to the high schoolers, don't get bored. Don't get bored. God is, Christ is revealing himself. He's, he's literally showing John all the questions that the disciples had while they were walking with Jesus. And he says, now I can show you. Now I can tell you these things. Let's not get bored with God and his word. They were restless. G. Campbell Morgan said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, 
the ability to do nothing until the command is given. So God's people, what was their job? They forgot their role, didn't they? They forgot their role. What was their job? Tarry ye here. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, it's not important, but that's your role. That's your role. Yeah, but maybe God, what did he tell you to do? Tarry ye here. They were growing restless. They were growing restless. Don't move when God says to wait. Don't move when God says to wait. They had too much time on their hands. They, they, they to, uh, began to think of ideas. We warn against this all the time with teenagers, but I think it goes for all of us. Too much dead time, too much dead time is a dangerous thing. Too much dead time is a dangerous thing. That's why most of the time when, when teenagers usually, but if anybody comes to me with, with wanting some help about reading their Bible or their devotions, I always ask them, well, what times throughout the day do you have available? Not long ago, I had a kid that, that came to me with these types of questions, and, and I said, well, what's the problem? Why, do, why are you not reading the Bible? I just, I don't have time. I get up early. we got to be here uh, at the school. Uh, then we've got practices, and, and it's late into the evening before I get home, and I just don't have time. I said, how far do you live from the school? 20 minutes. So there's your time. Dead time. Beware of dead time. Beware of time, uh, of wasting dead time. They forgot their role. Trust the plan. Trust the plan. Are you bored with everything that God is doing? I mean, God is working. The, the children of Israel, they, they just told God, whatever you want us to do, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And, well, we're not going uh, to make an idol. We're not going to bow down to any idols. Whatever you want us to do, God is speaking. God is working. Are you bored with the movement of God? You're in a place today, maybe you're visiting here this morning. Maybe it's your first time here. Let me just tell you that you have walked into a church where God is at work. You have come to a place this morning, and, and you've been there, and I've been there at places where God is not, where, where there is no moving. You've come to a place where God is moving. Don't get bored with the movement of God just because you think he's not moving like he should move. They were bored. They forgot their role. Number two, beware of promoting man. We're talking about worship, personal worship. Personal worship. It's easy to it's easy to blame the song leader, especially ours. He's an easy target. He's not in here, is he? Yeah, that's what you get for leaving. He's an easy target, right? To point at the song leader and say that's the problem with our worship. No. No, our problem with our worship, our problem with being bored in worship. It's not that worship is boring, it's that we are boring, right? It's, it's, it's that we have become bored. And number two, beware of promoting man. Look at verse number one again. And when the people saw that Moses delayed, forget the fact that he's talking with God, that he's face to face with the almighty God. They just saw that he delayed. To come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto, say it, Aaron. Unto Aaron. See, they were, 
waiting on Moses, I'm sure they were somewhat discouraged. Waiting and waiting and waiting. Day after day, week after week. When is he going to come? Not knowing, maybe thinking that he's dead. Just not knowing, they became discouraged. You see, the people put a lot of pressure. They put a lot of pressure on Aaron. They put a lot of pressure on Moses for delaying and a lot of pressure on Aaron to make them something to worship. But remember, our worship failures are our own failures. Moses delayed because he was face to face with God. It wasn't Moses' fault that they were bored with what God wanted them to do. They, they waited on Moses. They gathered unto Aaron. Gathering is one of the greatest things that a church can do. We've been commanded to gather, haven't we? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. We're to assemble, we're to gather, but the problem comes when we gather unto a man and not unto God and his word. And that's why I'm so grateful. I've already said it this morning, but I'm so grateful that we gather around God. We're not gathering to see somebody or to see some, uh, some entertainment going up here on stage. We are here to worship God. Now, we may sit out here in the audience and we may feel that we're being entertained or, or that we're here to see somebody and we leave discouraged because when you gather unto man, you'll always leave discouraged. Why? Because man will let you down. Man will disappoint you. God never disappoints. And they gathered unto Aaron. And we see their worship is decaying and decaying and getting worse and worse. And they started making demands. Up. The urgency there. Up. Make us idols. Make us something. We're tired. We're growing restless. They needed this urgency to wait on God, didn't they? They should have used this energy to, uh, to worship God, to wait on the Lord, to, to do what God had told them to do. Number three, number three, beware of misleading the home. Look at verse number two. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings. Now listen, listen to who he's speaking to here. You listening? Dads, are you listening? Men, you listening? Aaron said unto them, verse 2, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. I'm wondering in this large group of people, this gathering of the children of Israel, where are the godly fathers? Where are the godly men? I've already told you we like to point fingers at the worship leader or at the pastor for, for worship or for the decay of our children. But do you know who's responsible? Do you know who's responsible for the way that my children worship? I am. It's a God-given role. Look, look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Fathers, you are responsible for the direction of the worship in your home. Aaron is up here gathering all the men together and coming up with this plan to create an idol 
And we don't read about one man, not one father, not one husband that stands up and says, I'm not bringing you our jewelry. God did not mean that jewelry for this. God had other plans. Me and my family will not partake in this type of worship. Not one. I'm convicted at my responsibility, at my role as a father, as a husband, as a leader in my home, that my kids, my family is worshiping God and is ready to worship God when we come into church. It's easy to blame the pastor or the youth director on how your, your kid turns out, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, our pastor, pastors in general are a gift to the church. Pastors lead, they direct, they shepherd, they feed spiritually. But ultimately, ultimately, it's my role. It's my responsibility. Now I bring my kids into the church and I allow them to, to sit under the teaching of the Word of God in classrooms. I bring them into the auditorium and allow them to sing songs that we sing in here and hear the preaching of the Word of God. But ultimately, it's my responsibility. It's my role. Guard your home. Guard your home from decaying worship. Guard your home from misguided worship. Guard your home from shallow worship. Being growing up in a pastor's home, I've seen a bad habit through the years of relying so much on the pastor to keep our homes where they need to be. Now, my disclaimer is, again, don't get me wrong. God calls pastors to shepherd, and pastors love helping and counseling and encouraging their people. Our pastor loves to help and encourage and counsel with, with people that are hurting and that need help. But I've seen too many times too many times where we point our fingers at, our, at pastors because of how one of our children turns out, because of the direction that they choose to go. Guard your home. Beware of compromise. Beware that we don't compromise in our homes what is important to God. What should we emphasize in our home? What God emphasizes. What should be the most important thing in our home? The Bible, God, church. That's what we emphasize. Beware that we com don't compromise. Be careful that we become fearful of telling our children no in the name of compromise and acceptance. Compromise. Beware of misleading our home. Number four. Look at verse four. So he's received, received them all the jewelry at their hand, verse four, and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said... These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Number four, beware of forgetting deliverance. We're talking about our worship. How did the children of Israel get from committed to God to worshiping a golden calf? Well, they forgot their deliverance. Deuteronomy chapter 6 again, verse 12 says, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. He shall not go after other gods 
of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. What happened? They forgot who delivered them. Look back in verse number one. Look back in verse number one. And Moses delayed to come down from the mount. The people gathered themselves unto Aaron and said unto him, Up make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Wait a second. You're telling us in verse one that Moses delivered you out of Egypt. Now we're down here in verse number four and you say these, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt but they forgot who it was that actually delivered them from the Egyptian bondage. They, they, uh, they were confused. This is misguided praise. They were confused with who delivered them. We call this blinded idolatry. Blinded idolatry. They're looking for something to praise. They're looking for something to give all the credit to, all the glory to, and they miss that it was God that brought them out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 51 says, And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. And then in chapter 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It's very clear. It's very clear that it was God, Lord, Jehovah, that led them out of Egyptian bondage. It was nothing else. It was not Moses. It was not these little gods that they were creating. It was God himself. And they forgot. They forgot. That's why their worship decayed. That's why they're, they're not committed to God anymore. That's why they're worshiping this golden calf, because they forgot what God did for them. My question for you this morning is, have we forgotten what God has brought us from? Have we forgotten what God has done for us? Have we forgotten what he delivered us from? Have we forgotten who we were before we knew God? Have we forgotten what Jesus did on the cross that saved us from an eternal hell? Have we forgotten? Because our worship decays when we forget. Our worship decays, our worship declines when we forget what God has done. He delivered them. God is a God of deliverance from bondage. He delivered them from their enemies. He delivered them from hunger. He delivered the law of God to them. Just because we've seen God deliver doesn't mean we're beyond failing in our worship. Number five. Number five. Beware, beware of all these things. Substitute for God. Putting something in God's place. Number five. Beware of replacing God. This goes back to our title, a substitute for God. Look at verse five. And when Aaron saw it, now, if we just read this verse on its own, out of context, it sounds like a pretty good verse. Unless you know what it is. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Beware of replacing God in our worship. I'm going to read you a, a short little paragraph that Ron Owens wrote in the book Return to Worship. It says, the people wanted something they could see. 
They were not satisfied with a God who only spoke to them. They wanted something more. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? God is speaking. God is working. But we need something more. In the same way, many today are not content with how God has imaged himself in his word. They are not satisfied with a God who does not continuously reveal himself in some kind of tangible, visible form, so they create an image of what they think he might be like. These images, in some cases, become the object of worship and the focus of prayer. They're not content, this author says, with the God of the Bible. So we've had to add some things to our worship to make it exciting. We've had to add some things in our life to make God a little more interesting because the God that is revealed in in the pages of Scripture is just not enough. Let me tell you this morning, the choir sang it, all that he is is all I need. I hope that's our prayer today. All that he is, all that the Bible tells us of himself, that's all we need. We don't need anything more. We don't need, we don't need something tangible. We don't need something even visible. We have his finished word. We have his finished word, God's blessings in place of God. Back in the book of Exodus, or, or chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, we read uh, that God Uh, God promised that he would allow his people to borrow the jewelry from Egypt. Let's read it. Chapter 3, verse 22 says, But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor, and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewelry of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So back in chapter 3, God allows his people to take these ornaments, to take this jewelry from the Egyptians. And here in chapter 32, they're using this same jewelry, the same ornament, to build this golden calf, to give them something to worship. God's blessings in place of God. Think about something that you've prayed for fervently. Has God given that to you? I can think about things in my own life. Has God given that to you? One preacher said, you prayed for that car. You prayed that God would give you a car. Now drive it to church. Right? Think about the things that God has blessed you with. Think about your finances. Think about your family. Think about all the things that God has given you, that God has allowed you to have. Don't make an idol of it. Don't make an idol of it. Just a couple chapters from here, God wants to go with his people into the promised land, but you know what he tells them to do before they go? Strip off your ornaments. Why? They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the jewelry. He says, you got to leave it. You got to leave it behind. You see, God's people left Egypt, but they were still very Egyptian. Why? This golden calf, this was something that the Egyptians would have built. This is the type of worship and the idol worship that they learned back in Egypt. So when they got bored, when they got restless, when they got tired of waiting on Moses, what did they do? They referred back to their sin. 
Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that we forget the great things of God, but we can remember back to our sin? We can remember things that we used to worship. We can remember music that we used to listen to or things we used to watch before we knew God so well. But often we forget what God has done. God's blessing in place of God. Then we see Aaron's proclamation, verse number five. He says, wait a second. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now look at that word Lord, all capital letters. That's Jehovah God. That is the sacred title that the Jews would use for their God, for the one true God. So they're, they're, they're trying to worship God in a worldly way. They're trying to worship the one true God with the method that the world gave them back in Egypt. They're just going through the motions. Look at it in verse 6. You can see, you can see that they're going through the motions. They rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Rose up to play. So Aaron remembers in the back of his mind, oh yeah, uh, there's a feast tomorrow uh, for the Lord. Let's make sure we get up and we have this feast. So they say, okay, we'll get up and have this feast. And they get up and have this feast. And then the Bible says they rose up to play. So their worship, their worship turned into sensuality. That word play, we read it in uh, with the Corinthians. Very immoral, gross, wicked sins. Can you imagine your worship leading to something like that? But when you're worshiping something other than God, it always leads you down. When you've replaced God with a golden calf, it will lead you down and it will lead to destruction. Their selfish worship led to sensual wickedness. Here's my question this morning. Is God enough? All that he is, I typed it out here as they were singing this morning. All that he is, well, that's all I need. We don't need anything more. We don't need to create something so that we can see it. We don't need to put something in God's place. We just need God and God alone. And God is worthy. He's worthy of our worship this morning. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.